So normally I'm in the back row, so if we've never met, that's why I'm usually back there. But my husband will tell you I never do anything in moderation, so I'm either in the back or in the front, never in the middle. So next week you can find me in the back row again. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 5 this morning. If you have your Bible, you can open it with us. Or if you want to grab the Pew Bible, it is page 886. We're going to read verses 12 through 42. It says, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade or Solomon's porch. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail, but during the night an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priests and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. And then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had flogged them. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus 
is the Messiah. So we have this interesting thing coming to a close as we're finishing up these first five chapters of Acts. When Jesus rose again and he came to the disciples and before he ascended to heaven, he gave them the great commission and he said, go into Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And up till this point, they had made it to Jerusalem, but not past. And so what we have happen after these first five chapters in Acts is we're going to see Stephen and then Philip and then Paul, and we're going to see what they called the Great Dispora or the Great Dispersion. It was something the Jews had seen before when they had been scattered because of persecution. But this time it was Jewish believers who would be scattered. And they would be scattered to fulfill what Jesus had said, to go into all the earth and preach the gospel. And so we have this interesting moment, this pause before this great movement that's about to happen. And Gamaliel says, I've seen this before, guys. Don't you remember, Theodos? He rose up, he died, and it came to nothing. Don't you remember, Joseph? He rose up and it came to nothing because those men died. But what Gamaliel failed to recognize was that the, the leader of this movement had also died, but he rose again. You see, what made this movement different, what made this movement go into all the earth was Jesus. And so this morning, before we go into the great movement into the all the earth, I want to take a moment and I want you to notice three things that these disciples did in the first five chapters. Three things that these men clung to, specifically Peter, that made all the difference because they are the same three things that make all the difference in our lives. Will you pray with me? Lord, we just thank you that we don't serve a man who is still in the grave. But God, we serve a resurrected and living Jesus. Lord, would you help us to understand this morning why that makes all the difference. And may we leave here different. May we leave here changed in the same way that these disciples were changed. In his name. Amen. So the last couple of weeks have been a little rough in our house, and there are certain things that try my faith, and all I can say is the last couple of weeks have been all of the things. So my husband wanted to cheer me up, so he got on my phone, and he went into my Amazon app, and he went into my Amazon cart, and he'd bought the cheapest thing in the Amazon cart, hoping to cheer me up. What my husband didn't know is that I don't actually shop on Amazon. I actually didn't even know that I have an Amazon app on my phone and that it keeps track of things that I put in my cart. And the thing that he bought wasn't something I actually wanted. Someone had told me about a particular brand of clothing I should look at, and so I just threw the first thing I found from that brand into my Amazon cart so I would remember what it was. Monday night, I get home from work, and there's this package on the counter, and it has a little sticker on it that says, you have impeccable taste. I said, what is this? And he goes, it's that thing you wanted. And I remember thinking, I don't remember wanting something this color ever. <laughs> but I unwrapped it, and I open it up, and it is one of those party favor outfits. You know the ones that when your legs are together, it looks like a dress, but when you open, voila, it's pants? The thing is, it was the cheapest thing in my cart. So it was periwinkle, the same color I wore when I was five. And when you held it up to the light, you could see straight through it. Not to mention it was about three sizes too big. So I put it on. And sure enough, 
it has pockets, which you, may, you know, and men, if you don't know, you now know pockets save everything. The only problem is that this purple tent, the pockets were so big, and the tent was so big that I literally could scratch any part of my body and no one would ever know, which is a whole nother party trick. My mom's best friend, she calls pockets her candy holes because it's where she puts her Skittles. And I'm telling you that I could fill these pockets with so much candy, I could feed a family of 12 through the entire Star Wars trilogy. So I'm standing in my living room laughing so hard, basically reenacting that moment in Willy Wonka where the girl blows up like a blueberry. My daughter is on her phone Snapchatting her friends that she's pretty sure she's adopted. And my son is on the couch saying, you guys, there are some things a young man should just never see. And in that moment, my husband, who clearly hears from the Lord, said, man, that thing is so big, I could wear it. Brooke, will you put up the picture? You see, here's the thing. My husband wanted to cheer me up because he could see that I was really struggling. And you know what? For a moment, it looked like a complete disaster until this happened. <laughs> and I will tell you that mission accomplished. I was cheered up. You can take it down now. We don't need to look at that the whole time. It's all seared into your memory now, right? You see, when Jesus died, the disciples thought this is a disaster. Everything they thought he was going to do, every reason they thought he had come, they thought it was over. And then something happened. In three days, he rose from the grave. And it changed everything. It wasn't a disaster. Jesus did exactly what he had promised to do. And so when we get into the book of Acts and we see them filled with the Holy Spirit and we see them going out, we see them doing three things and clinging to three things. We see first that they clung to the name of Jesus. Peter again and again says, I do all things in the name of Jesus. At the end of Acts 5, it says that they would not stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, when you talk about the name in this culture, a name is not just a name. A name signified who you were, what you were capable of, of. It fulfilled all the promises that were in you. So when they talked about the name of Jesus, they were declaring Isaiah 9, 6. He's the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the mighty God. When Peter said, I do all things in the name of Jesus, he's saying, I am doing it in the name of Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was the Messiah because he conquered the grave. He was the prophet that God had promised would come. His name was declaring that who he was, who he said he was. He was capable of all the things he said he could do. It was not a disaster. It was Jesus. Philippians 2 tells us that his name is exalted above all others. 1 Corinthians tells us that in his name we are washed and sanctified and justified. And then Colossians 3 tells us that whatever we do, we do in the name of Jesus. Because it makes all the difference. Do you remember chapter 3 where Peter is in the Solomon's porch and he sees the man who was born lame? And what does he do? He says, silver and gold, I have none. 
but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, and he reaches down. Do you remember in John when Peter was walking across the water in great faith and he started to sink? Do you remember what Jesus did? He reached down and he pulled him up. You see, Peter wasn't doing anything in his name. He was doing it all in the name of Jesus. And he was declaring, the man who pulled me out of the water wants to reach down and pull you up. The Jesus who made all the difference in my life wants to make all the difference in yours. And so now we can do all things in Jesus' name. Because like Peter, we always have something to give when we have Jesus. Doesn't matter what we do, what gifts we have, what talents we have, in the name of Jesus, they all contribute to his kingdom. They all can be used for his glory. My daughter just got a job at Subway. I never knew what I was missing in the world until I got to hear the stories of Subway. But she came home the other day and she goes, Mom, two and a lady came in. And I said, who's Tuna Lady? And she goes, she's this woman. She goes, Mom, she comes in and she orders six scoops of tuna. And I said, oh, she's low carb. And Tegan goes, no, Mom, you don't understand. She put onions on top. And I'm like, oh, well, that might be keto. And she goes, no, Mom, you don't understand. And then I have to put it in the oven. And she heats it up and then wants it on salad. And I'm like, oh, that's totally Atkins. And my daughter's like, Mom, do you not get it? And she goes, aren't you listening to me? Do you know what tuna with onions on a plastic tray heated up smells like? And I said, yes, it smells like sadness, like every other low-carb meal. <laughs> and she kept going, you just don't get it. And I said, no, I get it. Because you're a subway worker, and your job is to serve the people that come in. And it doesn't matter if they're low-carb or keto it doesn't matter if they're on Atkins. It doesn't matter because in the name of Jesus, you can do all things to him and you can serve all people well. We get stuck in what we can and can't do. Do you know that Jesus gave the Great Commission before he gave the gifts? He called every single one of us to go and make disciples before he ever sent the Holy Spirit. The gifts were just the bonus, you guys. The talents are just the bonus. We all have something to give because every one of us can say, I was sinking and my Jesus reached down and he pulled me up. And that's all people need to know. They clung to his name. They did all things in his name. And they preached his resurrection again and again. When Peter, in chapter 3, healed the man, they said, in what power do you do this? And he said, in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, in chapter 5, when he's called in by the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and the high priest, who also would have been the Sadducee, the Sanhedrin were about 71 men, about half of them or so would have been Sadducees. The high priest would have been a Sadducee. We know that they were imprisoned by a Sadducee. What's interesting about this is the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. They were hedonists. They didn't actually really believe in the spiritual stuff at all. And in God's great humor, which I love, he freed these men with an angel. The Sadducees, who didn't believe in the spiritual things, put them in prison. And God said, that's all right. I'll use an angel to get them out. And so when they were brought before the Sanhedrin, knowing these men didn't believe in the resurrection, they preached it anyway. 
they spoke boldly of the resurrection of Christ. The Christ whom you crucified rose again. First Peter 1.3 tells us that resurrection is our living hope. Romans tells us that in the power of resurrection we walk in new life. Romans 8 tells us that the resurrection brings life to our mortal bodies. Ephesians 1 says that the riches of his inheritance, hope and power, that are all found in the resurrection message. It is our message of hope and life and power. In Acts 4.33, we see an interesting little section where it says that they were, they spoke of the resurrection, that they lived in the power of the resurrection, and that there was unity, there was grace, there was life, there was power, and no one lacked anything. You see, in the power of resurrection, we have something new. We have life, we have power, and we have everything we need. And it makes all the difference. It's interesting to see in these chapters Peter in the court of Solomon. It's interesting to see him teach in the temple courts. Because you remember the last time that Peter was on a porch? It was when he stood in the porch of the palace, having denied the Lord three times and heard the cock crow. When Jesus died, Peter thought it was over. He denied his Lord. He walked away, and then Jesus rose, and he came and he found Peter. And he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord. And he said, then feed and tend to my sheep. And we find Peter in the court of Solomon, the very place that Jesus stood before the Pharisees and said, I am the good shepherd. And he taught the Lord's sheep. And he tended to the Lord's sheep. The sick and the hurting and the dying came to the court. We have new life. We walk in power of the resurrection. We live confidently because of the resurrection. But most importantly, we have a message because of the resurrection. People need the hope of new life. People need to know that I may have denied the Lord, but it's not over for me. Because in the power of resurrection, he's looking at each one of us and saying, if you love me, just tend and feed my sheep. Because of the resurrection, we can freely extend those things. I think sometimes our Christianity, we start to feel like we're faking it. Like we're not sure we have what we need or have enough or are able to do or able to be. When my daughter, my daughter's not here, so I get to tell all the stories of her. My son will never let me teach when he's not here after this. When my daughter was four, she, my mom gave her this necklace with little bells all around it. And about halfway through the summer, she started to complain of ear pain, and I figured we'd been swimming a lot, so it must just be that she had an ear infection. So I took her to the doctor. And they looked inside her ear, and of course, they got out those really long tweezers. And they pulled out one of the little bells from that necklace. And my daughter, who don't ever mess with my daughter because she's been this quick since she was four, she looked at the doctor, she looked at the bell, she slapped her knee, and she goes, well, I was wondering where that ringing was coming from. 
You see, that's how our Christianity is sometimes, right? We sit there going, I was wondering where that power was coming from. You guys, it is from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We serve a God who defeated death. We serve a God who has died and came back to life. We have that power and we have that message to give. We have hope. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have all the inheritance of the riches. We lack nothing. So we can give freely. Because it makes all the difference. They clung to his name. They preached his resurrection. And they rejoiced in suffering. Not our favorite, right? <laughs> Not our favorite. They rejoiced in chapter 5 that they had been counted worthy to suffer for his name. We hear that idea of rejoicing and suffering. We hear this idea of that we should be happy when we suffer. And let's be honest, we can fake that, but it's really hard to be sincere about, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy I'm suffering right now. Because we forget what these disciples knew, that they were being counted worthy. Because there was a greater glory involved in their suffering. Because them suffering meant that God was moving. Them suffering meant that something was happening. Them suffering meant that Jesus was being spread. Because if they had kept silent, if they had said nothing, if they never did anything for the Lord, they never would have suffered. They wouldn't have been persecuted in this way. You see, we rejoice in suffering because we know that God is moving in our lives. Because we know that we have a greater hope that is in heaven. 1 Peter 5 says that suffering restores, confirms, strengthens, and establishes us. Romans 5 says that it builds endurance, character, and hope. That there is no shame in suffering, but through it the love of God is poured into us. James 1 says that at the end of suffering we lack nothing. Romans 8 says that no amount of suffering will ever compare to the glory of God. 1 Peter 4 says that the glory of God comes through suffering. And 2 Corinthians 4 refers to the eternal weight of our suffering. See, our suffering means something because of Jesus. We have hope in our suffering because of Jesus. Because in our suffering, we understand him a little more. In our suffering, we know him a little better because he suffered in all ways that we, that we will. And he comforts us. And we are able to comfort others. When Peter first saw Jesus being taken away to the cross, it says that he stood afar off. When they came to take Jesus, he cut off the ear of the guard. He hid from the suffering. When Jesus told, said that he would suffer, Peter said, Oh no, Lord, not you. Because he didn't understand the eternal glory and weight and power in the suffering of Jesus. Because through his stripes we are healed. Through his death we are forgiven from sin. Through his resurrection we are able to overcome. The suffering of Christ was worth it. And God now says that same worth is in us. Because in our suffering we know him. And in knowing him we have even more to give. You see, Peter didn't resist when the guards came to take him. Multiple times he went willingly to jail for Jesus. 
He counted it joy when he was beaten in Christ's name. Because Jesus makes all the difference even in our suffering. And we live in a world that needs to know that there is hope. That it's not all meaningless. That it's not all for nothing. But in Jesus and his redemption, in his death and resurrection, there is glory on the other side. Our air conditioner went out this week. Speaking of suffering. Our house has been a tepid 88 degrees for the past seven days. My dog is acting like we have taken him to hell and left him there. But the irony in all of this is I really hate fans. I have hated fans since I had a roommate in college who used the loudest fan on the planet every night to go to sleep to, and I slept above her. One night she had fallen asleep and I reached down to turn the fan off and because it was the 90s, she had like a 40-pound boombox above her head. I knocked it off her bed and gave her a concussion. We never really spoke after that. It's a whole nother sermon. But I hate that ever since then, the sound of them makes me crazy and it is probably the number one argument in our house because my husband loves fans. In fact, we would have at least eight fans running at all times in every room in our house. My husband, because he knew I'd be sitting up here, brought his own fan with him to church this morning. Battery-powered shop vac. And you know, this week, as our house hit 88 degrees, I hate to say it out loud because he's standing here, I have a whole new appreciation for fans. I don't hate them anymore. They've become our saving grace in our house this week. You see, we don't despise our suffering because we understand something in suffering we couldn't understand if we didn't. We connect with people in a way that we couldn't if we didn't suffer as they suffered. We connect to Jesus in a way that we couldn't if he hadn't suffered the way that he suffered. And it's for a greater glory. Because Jesus made all the difference. This wasn't just another movement. This wasn't another Thaddeus. This was Jesus Christ died and resurrected and nothing, like Gamaliel said, could stop it. Gamaliel was a Pharisee. He knew the law inside and out, and he knew that if it was of God, trumpets could bring the walls down. If it was of God, a stone could kill a giant. If it was of God, an entire nation could walk across the Red Sea on dry land. If it was of God, nothing could get in the way. And it was of God. And it was God's greatest thing because it was Jesus. A few years ago, when my daughter was seven, she had a birthday party that was fairy-themed. We did a fairy tea party in a rose garden, and I told my husband I wanted him to be head fairy, to which he responded, if you can find me a tutu, I'll wear it. I have made exactly one garment in my entire lifetime, and it was a men's 2XL purple tutu. When my daughter was nine, her gymnastics gym had a Christmas-themed gymnastics meet, and no one was there to play Santa. But luckily, the costume fit my husband, except for the shoes, which were a size 10. He said, if you can find me black loafers by noon, I'll wear it. I have said, praise Jesus, exactly one time in Walmart, and it was the day that I found size 14 men's loafers before noon. 
This Thanksgiving, when I ordered an inflatable turkey costume to have a dance-off, my husband could get, couldn't even get it around his ankles, but he knew better. He stuck one leg in, and he danced his heart out. Because he has learned, after being married to me for 18 years, there's no use fighting it. Just put it on and take a picture. You see, here's the thing. We either fight against God or we fight with him, and I would much rather be on his team. And the difference in our lives is Jesus. It's that we have something to give, we have something to say, and nothing in our lives is going to waste. It is not for naught. Everything in our life now has meaning. Everything in our life now has purpose. And nothing can stop it. Nothing can stand against it. Jesus said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He says to us, through you I want to build my church. I've given you all that you need, in my name, and in my resurrection, and in the suffering of Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are the difference. God, that we can count it joy when we fall into suffering. Lord, as we go out this week, may we realize that in the name of Jesus, we can go and we can do and we can be, and it's enough. Because of Jesus, we have something to give and we have something to say. And there's meaning in our lives. Lord, we live in a world who needs that. In the same way that nothing could stand against the Gospels, in the same way that we're about to see them spread throughout what was known as the ends of the earth, may you send us this week into the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.